Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, October 10th, 2022. And this year, we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebrich with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. I'm Guy Eero, and this week we're getting to cover one of the lesser-known Oncorhynchus species, an Arizona native trout. It's really cool. The Apache trout. Yeah, I'm excited. And October 10th is actually Indigenous Peoples Day, so we're really excited. We've got Bradley Clarkson with us, who's a White Mountain Apache tribe member and a fisheries biologist with our Williams Creek National Fish Hatchery in Arizona. We've got Zach Jackson, who's a supervisory fish biologist at our Arizona Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office. So welcome, you two. Thanks for having us. This is a really beautiful fish, and I'm hoping one or both of you could help the folks listening picture in their minds what it would be like to hold one of these fish in their hands, maybe like half in, half out of water, maybe on a sunny day, just a nice description for us. When I work with Apache trout, there's three characteristics that stick out to me. The number one is the eye bars on Apache trout. The next one I'd see is the gold color on the Apache trout. And mostly I see those in the males. And then the other one is the spots. Typically, the fish we see out in the wild, they do have spotting throughout the body from the nose to the tail. If people are familiar with Gila trout, they're larger spots than you see in Gila trout. They're more along the size of cutthroat trout. And then we do see the white fin margins. And sometimes in the dorsal fin in wild populations, we'll even see some orange on that dorsal fin. I have handled much fewer Apache trout than both (laughs) these guys. And that was a good point that Zach just made. We did do an episode on Gila trout last year, and I've caught both of these on the same trip before. And not in the same waters, of course, (laughs) but uh, they definitely have much larger, more typical trout spots than the really fine spots on the Gila trout. (laughs) And now I want to pitch a question about the habitat that you find these fish in, because When I think of Arizona, before I went down there, you you think of the Grand Canyon, Red Rocks, Saguaro Cacti. You don't really think of mountains and trout streams and trout habitat. So what part of the state are we in and what is the landscape like? Yeah, the natural populations of Apache trout, they're in the headwaters of the White Mountains in east central Arizona in the white, black, and little Colorado river basins. These are small streams. The populations there, most of them are above 8,000 feet in elevation. The first and second order streams, they're in mixed conifer forests. Typically, we see ponderosa pines, Douglas and white fir, aspens, alders, some willows. Sounds beautiful. Bradley, what tribes call this place home? Most of the strains or lineages that occurs in the White Mount Apache tribe. And I think there's one in St. Carlos Apache tribe as well. They call it the Holy Water. That comes from the Mount Baldy. And from there, everything is alive and protected, is what he told me. Okay. Because everything goes through Mount Baldy. So that's just a perspective from the elders. Okay. So is this fish important to these tribes and how is it important? Like it it occurs nowhere in the world, but in the White Mountains. (laughs) But lately we've been able to allow us to raise them and put them in back in the White River 
and eastward drainages. And it's important in, in that way, the tribal members and also the state of Arizona and New Mexico that are into the fishing and outdoor recreation can come out and fish for the Apache trout. The vast majority of the fish that are produced on the complex grounds are stocked on the Fort Apache Indian Reservation where my office is located and the hatcheries are located. Some of the non-native fish production does go to stocking other tribal waters in Arizona and New Mexico. I think there are maybe 17 total tribes and pueblos that are stocked from the complex and we help coordinate the sport fish stocking elements. We do provide fish that like Zach mentioned to the St. Carlos Apache tribe, the Navajo Nation and the Zuni Pueblos and Acoma Laguna. And there's some Pueblo tribes along the Rio Grande from Albuquerque all the way to Santa Fe. I do stock some of those lakes, about 80% of it. So we do take care of other tribal waters as well. I'm curious about the evolutionary history of these fish, because they only occur in this really small area, again, similar to the Gila trout, like we talked about last year on this show. So what fish are these most closely related to? And then how did they go off on their own evolutionary tangent there? So Apache trout, Gila trout, and Mexican golden trout are all closely related to an ancestral rainbow trout lineage. And they're considered to be the most divergent group of trout with some of the longest isolation from all evolutionary lines of Apache trout. Apache trout and Gila trout are believed to have derived from a common ancestor that gained access to the Gila River in Arizona from the Gulf of Mexico during the mid to late Pleistocene. Oh, wow. (laughs) Came up from the Gulf of Mexico? That's interesting. I know we've talked a lot about fish in the West and water issues and drought and fire. How is this specific species doing? Yeah. So in 2021, we just completed an Apache trout species status assessment. We've gotten a lot of good news in the last few years. There's one Apache trout population on San Carlos Apache tribe lands. That's Bear Wallow Creek. We had non-native trout, both browns and rainbows, breach that barrier. And then a wildfire ripped through. Apache trout were left in that watershed. So that was one significant bit of good news. We also completed some population monitoring surveys in the last couple of years that showed that some of our populations were really growing pretty well, really expanding after some other non-native trout removal work had been completed. And we're constructing a conservation barrier on one stream and planning for nine more barrier replacements. So we're mostly seeing good news in Apache trout country. And a conservation barrier, is that a dam that prevents other non-native species from getting in with them? Yeah, with a lot of conservation work anywhere, certainly Western native trout work, one of the major threats has been, is now, and probably will forever be non-native trout, whether it's non-natives like browns and brooks that can compete and prey upon Apache trout, or it's rainbows and others that can hybridize with them. Managing that threat is central to recovery of Apache trout and fish like it. I think I came across one of these fish passage barriers that you got there when I was fishing for these guys. I was over on the Little Colorado River, 
And I walked probably a mile downstream from the parking lot and I couldn't catch a thing. And then I came to this barrier right below it. Then I just started catching brown trout after <laughs> brown trout, which when searching for a passage, I was just as unsatisfying. But uh, <laughs> it seems like it was doing its job because I wasn't catching any brown trout above there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. And the tribe has been absolutely central to Apache trout recovery for a very long time. But they also are interested in providing sport fishing opportunities, not just for Apache trout, but also non-native trout. So these conservation barriers allow us to manage for both things. Ah. Conservation of Apache trout upstream of them, as well as continued recreational opportunities for other trout species downstream of them. So Bradley, I was wondering what tribal leaders started to do when they noticed Apache trout declining. In 1966, the state of Arizona put up a wilderness area on the east side of Mount Baldy. And then also the tribe said, let's put on the White Mountain site to have a wilderness area as well. Mm-hmm. So they set aside about 7,400 acres wow. around Mount Baldy as a wilderness area. And that is to protect also the Apache trout. And can people go in there or no people go into that wilderness area? No, there's no vehicles allowed in there. If there was a forest fire, they can go out and put out the fire. You cannot even get a slingshot past the wilderness area. Mm-hmm. That's how much they protect Mount Baldy. So it sounds like there's a bunch of techniques being used from a wilderness area to these conservation barriers, invasive species kind of control. What are some of the other techniques? Are you able to tell us a little bit about what the hatchery is doing in terms of raising these fish? Oh, within the last five years, our department and the White Mountain Patch of Game of Fish plus Zach's crew came before the tribe and asked permission to collect wild Apache trout milk. And then we put it in cryopreservation and send that to Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to be able to put out a quarter wild Apache trout back into the lakes and streams within the next two years. So number one, that would boost up the immune system for the Apache trout. And then also it would work for the disease management and also genetic conservation security. Hmm. Hopefully we'll be in good shape to resist any type of disease that might occur during low flows. One of the larger reasons that we started pursuing cryopreservation of wild milk was to address disease issues they were facing at the hatchery that was really causing a lot of mortality and reducing the amount of fish available for sport fish stocking. But long-term, we'd also like that broodstock to be in better shape. So it was one of the better options for reintroduction if we ever need to restart a population due to some catastrophic event in the wild. A little bit of insurance policy there. That's cool. Uh, I'd like to add that from our spawning, we give a little over 200,000 eggs to the state of Arizona. And then they do raise the Apache trout 
and they do stop their streams and their waters. So they are really interested in our cryopreservation and cryospawning. It's cool. There's a lot of technology involved, it seems like, with keeping a fish like this kind of going. And our conservation hatcheries are an interesting tool. It sounds like you're doing some really neat stuff. Zach, how does your office work with the hatchery and the state, how they all kind of fit together? So we work with Bradley's group at the William Shriek National Fish Hatchery, as well as the other part of that hatchery complex, the Algisay National Fish Hatchery, in sort of a couple of different roles. My office works entirely with tribes in Arizona, and we work on both native fish conservation and sport fish management. We also work with the Williams Creek National Fish Hatchery and the Apache Trout Broodstock in terms of developing genetic management plans and then going out in the field and collecting wild milt to improve the genetics of the broodstock. That's great. So help me to understand something a little bit here, Zach. So we got this fish that's kind of got a lot of competing interests. On the one hand, it's a T&E, threatened and endangered type species that needs to be protected and in some cases recovered. It's also a sport fish that people want to go out and catch, that people want to go out and keep in some instances. So of the places where this fish is currently found, what's the breakdown of wild fish versus stocked fish? And then also on top of that, places where you can target the fish, places where you might have to release the fish, and places where you can keep the fish. Sure. The White Mountain Apache tribe back in the 50s actually closed sport fishing for wild Apache trout throughout the reservation. So for those recovery populations, they all remain closed. Let's see, there's 17 relic populations on the White Mountain Apache tribe lands, and then I I believe seven replicate populations. So not an original population, but established from an original population. So no fishing is allowed. Bradley's group working with the White Mountain Apache Tribe Game and Fish Department in my office do stock Apache trout that can be fished and kept in at least three or four lakes. They're also stocked in Tachita. We stock Reservation Lake as well. Yeah. And some of the 260 lakes. So Big Bear, Little Bear, Horseshoe, Cienega, and a few others. Are people who aren't from the Apache Nation allowed to fish on the reservation or are they not allowed to fish or do you need special permits or anything to do that? The recreational element is important for the White Mountain Apache Tribe Game and Fish Department and the tribe in general as a revenue generator. So they're definitely providing opportunities intentionally for non-members to come and enjoy, you know, the beautiful scenery and all the reservation has to offer. Does the White Mountain Tribe, do they have their own licenses that you have to buy or do you just need an Arizona game and fish license? You need a a license or a permit from the White Mountain Apache Tribe Game and Fish Department. So you've got Apache trout, you've got Gila trout, we've got some non-native trout. As a new angler, how how can I think about this? Everybody's going to have a little different calculus about it, but Apache trout are so rare. They're found in, in a small geographic area not that many streams and you're not going to find them anywhere else. So I would think they'd prioritize pretty high. Gila trout have a quite a bit larger distribution, although I think in general, they're not doing as well as Apache trout. I'll, I'll throw in this conversation we're having, I believe Arizona game and fish 
They do have a wild trout slam initiative program that they have in the state that encourages anglers to go out and target all the species of wild trout, both native and non-native. I believe that part of the state has a lot of the wild trout populations. So to go up and then look for Gila trout, look for Apache trout, and also catch some of these wild browns and rainbows and even cutthroats and stuff that they got down there. So yeah, absolutely. And they have some pretty good resources available to help anglers do some homework about where to find a place to fish. When I was catching these Apaches, they were stocked over again on the little Colorado river. There was a nice spot where Again, I walked all the way downstream, not catching anything, spent a couple hours. I got up to the parking lot. I'm like, this was a bus. Maybe I should just go home. And then I said, I'll try upstream a little bit. I walked about 50 yards upstream to some beaver ponds and then just catching solid 14, 15, 16 inch Apache trout, just one after another. And so they're stocking them at some pretty decent sizes up there. That kind of impressed me. They've clearly got something going on. What are you feeding these fish to get them to grow so fast? Uh, we got a couple of uh, feed companies out there, and we have them give us a high-quality, high-protein diet, enhanced feed. And that's what we feed our patchy trout. Cool. And lately, we kind of noticed that when we give them that enhanced feed, we kind of got good milk production from our males. Awesome. I need to get me some of that feed. <laughs> I was going to say we should make it fair and feed them some non-native trout even out the playing field. <laughs> That'd be good too. Bradley, do you see folks in the tribe applying for jobs, say at the hatchery, or do you have any goals with how to inspire folks from the tribe to get involved with the conservation of these fish? Most of the time we would pick up students from the local high school here in White River. And they will come and help us with our fish culture and fish distribution and this Apache trout work as well. When we recruit, we usually use the high school biology teachers and we just have them look for the ones that can go into the fish and wildlife field, their education and come back and continue to help out the tribe. One area that I'm trying to focus on is for the fish hatchery to see if somebody can come up and give them the tribal perspective and be communicating with the tribe and the community and how we work together to continue to operate the fish hatchery and into the future as well. Cool. We got kids listening right now who think, okay, this work that I've heard these guys talk about with their Apache trout, either in the field or in the hatchery, sounds really cool. What can I be doing now to prepare myself to be a good applicant for one of these internships or work positions? What can kids who are in high school, middle school, or even at the university level be doing to get their resumes in shape so that they can come out and help you guys? Just do your work in school, get involved, listen, pay attention, because sometimes it gets really competitive, but that's what I look for. And once they get on board, to put it on your resume, whatever you learn, anything Apache trout on your resume. And when the HR see that, they put you higher up in the selection list. Keep contact with us calling and everything because when job announcements come through, it might not be fish hatchery. It might be Zach's crew or the tribe. I just send the announcement to the students and that's how some of these students get on board and get interested in our field. Right on. How about you? 
How about you, Zach? Any advice? Yeah. So we hire a lot of folks each year. Generally speaking, our field season starts in May and goes at least to Halloween, sometimes a couple of weeks into November. We hire a mix of three-month and six-month positions, but we hired 20 staff this year. Wow. (laughs) This year's group has been a really good group. I think six of them even got Apache trout tattoos. Wow. That's a high proportion. That's awesome. (laughs) We, we've never had any before, so we went from zero. Wow. You got to raise that bar for next year. Yeah, exactly. We're not expecting a ton of experience in fisheries or anything else necessarily. Certainly not a lengthy work history. We really try to hire as many local tribal members as we can to show them what this part of the natural resources field is like and hopefully encourage quite a few folks from the local areas to get involved with conservation and sport fish management on their tribal lands. Usually less than half of our staff are non-members from around the country. And when we're filling those positions, I'm mostly looking for indications that somebody is motivated and hardworking. So ways that folks can set themselves apart are being involved in university clubs, if not in AFS students, American Fisheries Society student subunits than some other type of club. But definitely I'm looking for indications that folks are self-motivated, driven, folks that are used to hard work tend to do better. Okay. I definitely remember my days as a fish tech. And like you say, long days, hard work, carrying a shocker. I don't know if you guys do that kind of stuff with the Apache trout, but It's some of the most memorable and enjoyable work that I think I can look back on my career right now. Yeah, we do. We usually apply more than a million seconds of electrofishing effort each year, just doing Apache trout monitoring and non-native fish management. That's a great fun job. I did that for one summer and man, electrofishing. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds really cool to work in a hatchery and just, especially with the career like yours where you've been there a long time and you guys are just adjusting to all these kind of different things. That's really cool. Can people come and see your operation there? We're open seven days a week from seven to three o'clock, except for holidays. All right. Get out there and enjoy all the Western native trout, including the Apache trout. And apparently they make a good tattoo also. So get one of those. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebeck, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Race Car. Produced and story edited by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Regional Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.